Well, you know, there are seasons in life that shake us to our core. There are seasons in life that cause us to ask deep questions about what we believe, what our life is about, where we're going and what's going on. And, and I believe that this moment, this crisis that we're facing today is one of those great times. And I got some great news for you today because God wants you to be a person that has great faith in troubled times. And you may hear that and think, well, wow, that sounds awesome, but that's pretty impossible for me. But I want you to know today, God has some very specific things that I want to share with you today that will motivate and inspire your faith in and through this difficult crisis that we are facing. It's going to be really a fantastic time. Um, according to the American Psychiatric Association, 48% of Americans are anxious about getting sick, 40% are anxious about getting seriously ill, and 36% are concerned about, uh, about their own mental health during this time. <clears throat> um, you could say that people are actually going corona crazy. Maybe you've been to the grocery store. Um, I made the mistake of sneezing when I was at the grocery store this week, and people scattered and gave me dirty looks. And I probably should have been more careful. But uh, people are nervous. People are cautious. People are wearing masks. People are driving like maniacs. People fighting over stuff at the grocery store. It, it's, a, it's a panicked time that we live in. But I want us to see an example of great faith today. Would you take your Bible? I want you to look at the seventh chapter of the book of Luke. <clears throat> Luke chapter 7, about a man who had great faith. And I want to tell you why faith matters so much. Because we live in a time, and we live in a, in a time and a place where faith is on the decline. Um, the largest group the largest religious group of people in our country are what they call the nuns. And it's not N-U-N-S, but the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. It's the people who say that they have no faith. And over the last 13 years, this number has risen from like 13% to almost 25%. And more and more people are saying that they don't have faith. But you know what? We need faith to help us get through some really tough times. And I love this story I'm going to share with you in a minute because it's a story of an outsider. And you know, sometimes we think about spiritual insiders and spiritual outsiders. Spiritual outsiders are the people that don't know really what to say. They don't know all the lingo. They don't know the culture. They don't know what to wear. They don't know what they're supposed to give. They don't know what they're supposed to do. And then there's like the insider people that are supposed to know what the Bible says and supposed to have all the inside scoop and to know the this and the that and all that. And there's insiders and outsiders. And many times we associate the insiders as being the people of faith. But in this particular story, it's the story of a man who had great faith, but he was actually an outsider. He, he was somebody who was on the peripheral. He was somebody that wasn't even on the radar. He was somebody that wasn't supposed to know anything about God. And he's known as the centurion of Luke chapter 7. The centurion is an interesting guy. In fact, um, <clears throat> centurions in the Bible, in the Roman culture, in the first century, were men that led soldiers 
of units of a hundred. Uh, they were they were a man's man. Uh, I, I'm imagining this centurion, Luke chapter seven, was like a crossover between Vin Diesel, Jason Statham, and The Rock. Uh, he was a warrior. Maybe he was like 6'2", 215, 225, could bench press the world. He was a man that was a leader. He was loyal. He, he was uh, disciplined. He was faithful. He was valiant in times of war. In fact, Roman centurions actually fought on the front lines of the battle. They did not stand at the back and watch everybody else. They were in the middle of the mix. This was one bad dude. And one day, <clears throat> this centurion has a servant that's dying. And he doesn't want to see this, this, this friend of his, this, this servant, die. And so he asked the Jewish leaders to go find Jesus and to ask him to come heal the servant. And while Jesus is on the way, uh, a second group, uh, uh, actually a group of servants from the man's house stop him. And they say, you know what? Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming to, to take care of our friend. But our centurion wanted us to tell you, if you will just give the word, if you will just say, be healed, um, you don't even have to come to our house uh, to touch this guy and to pray for this guy, and he'll be healed. And Jesus' comment on the faith of the centurion was, I haven't found such great faith in all of Israel. And so... This outsider now has become an insider. Um, the, the Roman centurion was an outsider religiously. He was a Roman. Romans were polytheistic. They worshipped all kinds of gods. Uh, they had all kinds of unusual and odd religious beliefs, unlike the Jews. Um, he was an outsider ethnically. He was a Gentile. Um, Jesus was a Jew. And so there was distance there. He was from a faraway place, and the Roman Empire conquered the land of Palestine that we know as the Holy Land. And the Jewish people generally hated the Romans. They did not like them. Now, in this particular instance, they did like this one centurion because he gave some money to the building program and built the synagogue. But, but in general, this centurion was a total outsider, and yet he had faith that was commended by Jesus. In fact, the only time that Jesus was amazed at somebody's faith is right here in Luke chapter 7. This word amazed is used in Mark chapter 6, but, but it's a totally different story. It references Jesus going to his hometown, and it says Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. All the people that Jesus went to high school with, all the people that Jesus grew up in the neighborhood with, they didn't have any faith. And Jesus was shocked at how little faith that they had. And that's the same word that is used in Luke chapter 7 when it says he was amazed at the centurion's faith. This guy's a warrior. This guy's a Roman. This guy's a centurion. This guy is a Gentile. And yet he has more faith than all of the Jewish people who think they're so spiritual. What were the key ingredients that allowed this man to have such great faith? I want you to write these three things down. Would you grab a piece of paper and um, a, piece of, uh, a piece of pencil, if you will, or a piece of paper to write it down with, and I want us to see 
what it means to have great faith. When you have great faith, it simply means you're willing to believe the things that God has said that are difficult. Um, one of those examples is Philippians 4.19, and it says, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory. Do you believe that God can meet your needs? I mean, if you really believe that, if that's really in the core of your being, then you may be a person that has great faith. If you're still working on that, you're striving for that, you're moving towards being a person of great faith, but great faith just means you can believe God for anything. Well, how do we do that? Look at this. Number one, my faith is built in times of great need. <clears throat> now, our country is in a time of great need. People can't work. I was driving the other day to the church, and there was nobody on the roads. And at first, I thought, man, that's awesome. I love no traffic. And then I thought, that's kind of an ominous feeling. Where is everybody? I can't go to the movies. I can't go to a ball game. I can't get together with my friends. We're all social distancing. It's a weird feeling. But I've also found that God often does His greatest work in the times of greatest adversity. Man, during this time, don't miss what God wants to do in your heart. The book of James chapter 1 says, let the testing of your faith produce perseverance. As we go through hard times, that's when God forges faith. Faith is always built in hardship. We would love to have faith built when everything's good. Smooth sailing, money in the bank, family's dialed in, everybody's healthy, everybody's feeling good. Oh, that's when I want to have faith. No, 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 no. Most of the time, God's greatest work in our life is through the hardest struggle. So don't miss it today. Don't miss what God wants to do. Man, you cannot take a spiritual vacation. You may not be able to go to the office but, but listen, let God work in your heart and in your life. Now look at this in Luke chapter 7, verse 2. A centurion servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he, went, he, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of the servant. And they, when they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him, earnestly saying, He is worthy for you to grant this. Because he loves our nation and he built us a synagogue. There's a great need. I mean, the centurion really cares about the servant. And he's about to die. And they've been to the doctors. And the doctors can't do anything. And nobody has any answers. And there's nobody to turn to. And he says, you know what? Maybe Jesus can help. What a great place to be. Man, when, you, when you're in a situation and you've got no answers and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn, you can always turn to God. Turn your heart to God. Turn to Him. Somebody you love, turn their back on you. Somebody gets cancer. Somebody goes bankrupt. Somebody cheats. And in the words of that old country song, uh, somebody done somebody wrong song. Maybe that's what's going on in your life. But in the middle of that, let God work. 
That is fertile soil for the seeds of faith to take root and to sprout in your life. Don't, don't run from those times. Embrace those times. God is doing great work. I've never met one person who had great faith that did not that did not go through times of great heartache and struggle. It is just part of God's formula in our life. And we hate it, but we also love it because the result is awesome. You're going to have more confidence in God when you come through this than at any other time in your life. You're having to trust God at a higher level than than you've ever trusted Him before. And you know, Jesus loves broken people. I mean, read the Gospels. Jesus loves prostitutes. He loves beggars. He loves poor people. He loves people that are sick. He loves people that are struggling. Those people are like magnets to Jesus. Why? Because they realized they had a great need. And I hope during this time of struggle that you realize, man, you have a great need too. One of the biggest struggles I've ever faced was when I was 18 years old, my parents divorced truly the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my entire life. The attorneys said, this is the worst divorce case we've ever seen before. This is terrible. It was hard. I lost my relationship with my dad. Very, very, very difficult. But you know what? Faith was forged. Faith took root in my life. My, I had to trust God to even get through the day. I had to lean on the Lord. I had no other alternative. There was nothing else to do. I had nowhere else to turn except to Him. Maybe you're in a similar spot today. You realize, man, I need God. That's a great place to begin. The centurion saw it. Somebody I deeply love is about to die. I need Jesus. When you're at the bottom, that's when we should be looking to God. To help us. But you may be thinking, well, you know, Pastor, things are actually kind of going pretty good for me. Maybe the bottom has not fallen out. Maybe there is money in the bank. Maybe you're feeling pretty good about life. Listen, don't become prideful. Don't become self-reliant. Don't become a person that thinks that you have all of the answers because it's in those moments that, moments that God begins to distance himself from us because my faith is built by great humility. I mean, if you really want God to work in your life, you have to, to acknowledge and to see that you have a dependence on him. And the centurion really got this. Uh, it's interesting because when the Jews go and summon Jesus to go and heal the servant, they tell him, look, Jesus, you need to do this based on merits. This guy gave the money for the synagogue. I mean, we kind of owe this guy. Come on, Jesus, don't let us down. (laughs) But when the centurion sends a message, he speaks of himself with such great humility. I mean, he doesn't even think Jesus needs to come into his house for crying out loud. He doesn't feel worthy. So the Jewish religious establishment is talking to him about merits. And yet when the centurion looks at his own life, he, he says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not even qualified to even have a conversation with you, Jesus. I mean, come on, look, look with me if you would in verse 6. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends 
to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. Since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. He says, you know what? I sent the servants to find you because I didn't feel worthy to have a conversation with you. Look at that. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I say I am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion understood authority. He says, you know, I know how to tell my men, go here and do that, and they do it. He says, you know, Jesus, you're a man of authority. You're a man of power. You just say the word, and the servant will be healed. You don't even have to come to the house. I mean, we see great faith, and we see great humility. Now, sometimes when we think about humility, we equate it with low self-esteem, self-loathing, and a lack of ambition. And we think, well, if somebody is really humble, then they minimize or downplay all their accomplishments. But let's don't mistake spiritual maturity for insecurity. There's a difference. That's more the mark of being a person that's insecure, not the mark of somebody that's humble. To be humble just realizes that I understand in the stratosphere where I rank. I realize that God is the supreme authority and I am under Him. And I also realize what my capabilities are. People who are prideful are people that are really here, but they think of themselves here. That's pride. Humility is, I'm here and I understand that I am here. It's not self-loathing down here. Not something totally different. And it's safe to say that God practices social distancing. Where there is pride, God does not want to be present. God will give the stiff arm to pride. God says, I don't want anything to do with somebody who has a heart that is full of pride. But you know what? Show me some humility. I'll do amazing things. That's why 1 Peter said, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and I will lift you up. If you want to be great, the way up is the way down. It's humility first. We need to be humble. Now, the Jews, again, are esteeming this man. Jesus, you got to help him because he's worthy. And the centurion is actually playing himself down in humility. Jesus, I need mercy and grace. But this concept of God's intervention in our life is often associated with my good deeds. In other words, like if I'm a good person, God kind of owes me. You know, maybe you felt that way before. Like, I gave this money to the church. I volunteered this time. I went and spent some time doing the Lord's work. I read the Bible. And now, God, you need to do this for me. Maybe you felt that way before. Now, that's not the heart of the centurion. That's what the Jews are saying about the centurion. <clears throat> and sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm a good person. Why do I need Jesus? Sometimes non-Christians say to me, Ryan, I'm a better person 
than some of my Christian friends and associates. I know people that are Christians. I'm a better person than them. Why do I need Jesus? It's a great question, isn't it? The answer to the question is not, am I better? Because God doesn't see good people and bad people. God sees forgiven people and unforgiven people. And you may have great ethics and be a person that's never asked for God's forgiveness. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to make life's greatest decision and to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and forgive your sins and make you a new person so you can experience that big grace that comes through humility. Big grace. God is not impressed with our resume. In fact, God is more attracted to weakness than he is to strength. God loves broken people. And the centurion comes to Jesus in all humility, and it stirred the heart of the Savior of the world. He realized, man, I'm a sinner. I got stuff in my life, but I need help. So my faith is built through great humility. Here's a third thing, though. Write this down. My faith is built, my faith is built by a great Savior. By a great Savior. <laughs> I, I mean, think about this. To have great faith, you need to have somebody great to believe in. Amen? I mean, how are you going to have a great faith if, if you don't have someone to believe in? Faith I'm talking to you about is faith in a person, and his name is Jesus. It's not just faith in faith, but it is faith in a person. Look at this in verse 9. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. With the spiritual insiders, Jesus said. And then verse 10, when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. I mean, <clears throat> this is the wonderful Savior of Jesus. Jesus has the ability to heal people when he's not even in the same room. I mean, who does that? I mean, trust me. We would celebrate this as a miracle if Jesus would have gone to the house and raised the sick man up. That would have been awesome. It would have made the Gospels. We would have preached it. We would have taught it. It would have been one of the great stories of the Bible. But that's not what happened. What Jesus did was even more significant Jesus heals a man that he doesn't even see. He doesn't even touch physically. He's not even in the same proximity. That's the Savior that we serve. He's that good. He's that amazing. So what do we learn about Jesus from this story? And Jesus is like, finally, somebody gets it. <laughs> the Jewish people, the people that were supposed to embrace Jesus, many times despised him. And here's a guy that's an outsider, a Gentile, a Roman, a centurion, a warrior, a nobody, never read the Old Testament, never, never worshipped in the synagogue, never done any of that, and now he has great faith. How is that supposed to work? Wow. Well, you may be the greatest spiritual outsider ever, but God may be stirring in your heart and maybe setting the stage and the foundation for you too to become a great person of faith. And wouldn't it be a great commentary on your life if God thought of you and said, you know what, she has great faith. He has, 
great faith. They have great confidence in me. So how do we learn about Jesus? Well, here's a couple of things. Number one, Jesus is the ultimate. He's the ultimate healer. I mean, he heals the servant physically, and he heals the centurion spiritually. Jesus cares about the body. That's why we pray for people who are sick, and Jesus cares about the spirit. We want people to be spiritually healed by putting faith in Christ. We want people to be physically healed when they are ill. Jesus cares about both. And by the way, Jesus is more capable than you think that he probably is. And I wonder what God is not doing in your life simply because you haven't asked. I mean, this centurion was pretty bold, wasn't he? But he asked. Sometimes we have needs in our lives and we're not asking. We get frustrated. God, where have you been? God, what are you doing? Have you asked him? Have you asked him? What are you asking God to do in your life? He's an ultimate healer. Jesus also hears our prayers. I mean, Jesus is listening. That doesn't mean that every time that you make a request that Jesus answers yes, but Jesus responded to this invitation to help this man. Jesus begins moving to the home of the centurion, and he's trying to help, and he's, he's you know, listening. Jesus hears our prayers. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's not now, maybe a little later. But Jesus hears our prayers. Listen, there's nothing you're asking God for that he is ignoring. He's listening. Jesus hears our prayers. Jesus also is our centurion. I mean, think about it. He's going to battle to defeat the devil on your behalf. And he lays down his life if necessary and when necessary. And Jesus is at war with Satan laying down his life. I mean, that's amazing. Jesus is our centurion. He is our warrior. Man, he's a great savior. That's why we should have so much faith in him. Because he's a wonderful savior. He's an amazing savior. Now, if Jesus is really that great... He deserves our faith and our highest praise, doesn't he? I mean, if that's really who Jesus is, Jesus is amazing and he deserves our allegiance and our commitment. He really does. These are unprecedented times and we need to face unprecedented times with unprecedented faith. God is taking your faith to a new level. Now, let me suggest this. Based on the centurion's faith, we should pray and suggest. Pray and suggest. Here's what the man does. My, my servant is sick. God help him. Request. Then he's like, you know what? My servant is sick. Who do I know? Maybe the Jews would go and get Jesus and bring him to our house. Hey, Jewish friends, can you guys go find Jesus to help me? And then he's sitting at home and he's like, I got an even better idea. I'm going to send some servants to find Jesus on the way to our house and to stop him and to say, just give the word and heal the man. See, 
Jesus is responding to the inquiry of the centurion. Again, I wonder what God is not doing in your life simply because you're not asking. We should pray and make suggestions. That's what Joshua did. In Joshua chapter 10, he's fighting. And he needs some more time to rout the enemy because nightfall is coming. And if, and if the sun sets, then the enemy's going to regroup and come back the next day. And so Joshua prays and makes a suggestion. Lord, help me, but allow the sun to stand still, Lord. And God says, you know what? <clears throat> Joshua asked the sun to stand still. I, I think we can do that. Let me just stop the rotation of the earth for just a little bit to help Joshua out. That was a great idea, Joshua. Thank you for asking. I think God loves our suggestions a little bit more than we think that he does. We have this idea, well, I'm going to pray about it, and I'm just going to wait around, and I'm going to see what God's going to do. But don't you love the centurion? He's like, I don't have time to wait. This man's dying. I'm going to pray. I'm going to suggest. What about the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment? She's been bleeding for years. She's like, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And she's healed. And don't you know that the people in the crowd, after Jesus called that out and interacted with her and kind of exposed what she had done, don't you know the people were like, can you do that? I mean, does that work? Because if not, they would have all been touching the hem of Jesus' garment. This woman prayed, and she had a suggestion. Let me touch the hem of his garment. Prayer in action. In Mark chapter 2, there's a man that needs to be healed. The friends are trying to get him to Jesus, but the, the room is packed in that little house where Jesus is teaching. So they go to unprecedented means. They begin, they begin to vandalize the house. They remove the ceiling tiles. And they begin to lower their, their friend in through the ceiling. I mean, who does that? Can you do that? Is Jesus going to be angry that you messed up the house? No, 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 no. The Bible says that actually when Jesus saw their faith, speaking of the friends, not the paralytic, but the friends, when he saw their faith, he healed the man. We ought to pray and make a suggestion. I'll tell you, this Easter season... We're praying and we're suggesting. We're hosting 11 weekend worship experiences next Saturday and next Sunday, and we want you to be a part of it. We want you to invite some people. We want you to start a watch party for Easter. It's going to be awesome. It's the Super Bowl of the Christian calendar. We're praying and we're suggesting. Hey, Lord, we've got 11 services. Hope a lot of people give their hearts to you. Lord, we need you to work and to move. Here's some opportunities. God loves suggestions. He loves it. And that, those suggestions are the things that actually start to build our faith. They build our faith. Man, he's a wonderful Savior. And we come to him in moments of adversity with a spirit of humility. Because he's that great.
And God wants us to call on his name today. Would you join me in believing God for great things in your life, even though things may be difficult and hard? Let's pray together. Lord.